You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, so um, what I'd like to do this morning is just a little bit of Bible study-ish, and I want to be open to any kind of interaction you want to give um, in, in, this, in this conversation. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of come down here a little bit and, uh, and be with you because I don't really, feels weird, even though we, you know, got a, you know, we, people are here, it just feels kind of strange being up on a stage and us being kind of in an intimate space, but yet not letting it be that. So uh, if you have your version, you can go there. If you don't have your version, that's fine. Um, if you have your, uh, your church app, if you have Church Center, um, you can... The cool thing about Church Center, if you've downloaded it already, you can launch it, and then what will come up immediately is your me screen, um, but if you go to the home screen, it'll have everything you want with interactive links there uh, if you've downloaded Church Center already, and it have all the scriptures and then a handful of notes for you uh, if you want to take it home. Um, what I want to do is talk about the witness of worship. Everybody say worship. So when you hear the word worship, what comes to mind? All right, silence. That's good. Music. Music comes to mind. What else? Okay, Romans 12, you're cheating, Sam. Stop. You're already getting to the end of the... Fred, just get on with it. Romans chapter 12. Um, yeah, so music, Romans chapter 12. So since Sam is cutting off our conversation, we'll go ahead. <laughs> we'll go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, so a lot of times worship is, is defined as you know, actions, right? We have music, we have table, we have maybe word, reading, we have prayer. Sometimes for us, worship is defined as, you know, a gathering. So what I want to do is I want to start in the Hebrew Scriptures because a lot of times we think things have changed a lot from the Hebrew Scriptures to the Christian Scriptures, and in some ways it hasn't. Some ways it has, some ways it hasn't. So if you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 1. So over the centuries, the city of Jerusalem was toppled and turned by all these different empires. You had the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, and the Persian Empire just toppling Jerusalem. Uh, Yahweh's desire for the people of Jerusalem, for his chosen people, was to worship him as the one true God. And so Yahweh gives them Torah, which is a way of life, but then he prescribes to them rituals. Everybody say rituals because I want that to be in your head, and he prescribes to them festivals. Everybody say festivals. These are all for worship. These aren't just things to do. These are actually worshipful experiences, worshipful gatherings that are meant to form them into holy, righteous, and just people, right? As people who love God, as Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Um, that is the Shema, that was the prayer they'd pray three times a day. And then Leviticus 19, which said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's where Jesus gets all of that. So worship is supposed to form them into this kind of life. The problem is, by the time Isaiah comes in, uh, there's, there's greed, there's self-serving, there's exploitive economic practices in the people of, of Jerusalem, like among the people as a community. 
And we sometimes forget that religion was law, law was religion, religion was politics, politics was religion, religion was economics, economics was law, everything was bound up, it was all one thing. They didn't have an economic life and a religious life and a moral life, it was just life. This is what it meant to be a worshiper of Yahweh, this is what it meant to be an Israelite, is you follow uh, Genesis, you follow the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you follow the Tanakh, which is the fancy word for like the whole, the whole Hebrew scriptures, the law and the prophets, everything. Um, that had been that had been placed for them. The Psalms becomes their Jewish songbook. It's their hymn book when they do gather, and it's supposed to be a way of life, right? And in all of this disobedience and injustice, they're still gathering together. If you scr- if you skip over to Isaiah five, you're going to hear a series of woe statements. Woe is not what my grandma used to say when I would drive fast and she was in the car. Woe means cursed. Okay, woe statements are cursed statements. Like cursed are you. Like, it ain't going to end well for you, that, right? That's, that's what a woe statement captures. All right, in Isaiah 5, you have this series of woe statements that detail the abuse of justice uh, and the forms of actions that are, that are greed, that are self-serving, that are exploitive. And in all of this, the people of Yahweh are still worshiping. They're still doing rituals. They're still going to church, right? Quote, unquote, they're still going to temple. They're still, not temple, but they're still going into worship. They're still participating in the festivals. They're still singing songs to God. They're gathering just like they're supposed to. They're very faithful to the gathering. Here's what Isaiah says. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Hear the Lord's word, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to our God's teaching people of Gomorrah, metaphorical. What should I think about all your sacrifices, said the Lord? I'm fed up with entirely, I'm fed up with entirely burn offerings of ram and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't want the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from you, this trampling of my temple's courts? Stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. New moon, Sabbath, and the calling of an assembly, these are the festivals and everything, I can't stand wickedness with celebration. I hate your new moons and your festivals. They become a burden that I'm tired of bearing. When you extend your hands... I'll hide my eyes from you. When you pray for a long time, I won't listen. Your hands are stained with blood. Wash. Be clean. Remove your ugly deeds from my sight. Put an end to such evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. If they are red as crimson, they'll become like wool. If you agree and obey, you'll eat the best food of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword or by your own violence. The Lord has said this. It's heavy. In the Hebrew Scriptures... An understanding of true worship isn't limited to an event or gathering. What are you picking up from this Isaiah text? What are you picking up? All right. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Anybody else? 
Yeah, that he wants love towards others rather than just sacrifice. Yeah. What else are you picking up? Anything else? Yeah, the God is seeking a, a different connection. I might even say a bigger connection, right? Yahweh's trying to say, look, you can gather in all the right ways. You can hold all the right festivals and do all the right rituals. You can go to worship service all you want and do it all properly. But if your life doesn't reflect a love of neighbor, or as verse 17 says, a life of goodness and justice that helps the oppressed, defends the orphan, pleads for the widow, if your life turns an eye from that, then you are not offering worship to me at all. It's like Yahweh is saying that true worship involves one's entire life and includes events and gatherings that bring all these lives together for holy formation. But it's not just about a gathering only. The Hebrew Scriptures teach that a worshiper of Yahweh could not disconnect how they lived their life from their worship of God. How they lived their lives are in direct connection to their worship, and the sincerity of their worship is in direct connection to how they live their lives. Their way of understanding the world was not divided in secular and sacred. When we say secular music and spiritual or sacred music, what are we saying? How, why is it you think we divide secular and sacred? We say secular this, sacred this. Have a secular friend and I have a sacred friend. It's kind of a weird language. Or spiritual is probably what we say. We say secular and spiritual. Why do you think we have those divisions? Greg? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It allows you to keep your values in different compartments. And we live our lives like a chest of drawers, right? We have our work life in this drawer. We have our home life in this drawer. We have our marriage in this drawer. We have our nuclear family, meaning, that was always a weird word, nuclear family, the family that blows up. But like our, 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 our central family uh, in this drawer, and then we have all of our friends. And we operate off the secular and spiritual distinction. Listen, in ancient Near Eastern cultures, there was no secular and sacred. Everything was sacred. There was no division. It was all a part of a whole because God was understood to be all and in all and to have given all and all is grace, right? And in the Christian tradition, it's supposed to be the same. But it's not. We have a problem in the church. A problem that goes far beyond what our society and nation is doing. This has nothing to do with our nation and our society. It's nothing to do with culture. This problem that I want to propose that Yahweh wants to solve. It's a problem that's not even found outside of the church. It's a problem strict within the church. We've created false divisions between secular and sacred. And this has resulted in a disconnected understanding of worship, which has resulted in false distinctions of the Sunday life and the Monday through Saturday life. And so many of us come to a worship service in the, in the church, maybe our church, but in the church as a whole, and we want to be fed, we want to be filled up, we want to be inspired and encouraged, right? We hope that song is being played today because we connect to that song. We hope that Fred's going to probably not preach this Sunday and somebody else is. We hope, that, we, hope that, we hope that something else is happening in the gathering that fills me up, and we want to feel good about our lives, and we want to feel good about our faith. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But we call that worship. You even used to hear, you would hear worship leaders sometimes. Worship leaders will stand up and they'll go, y'all, let us, let us come to worship. But the biblical tradition says, you bring your life of worship into a space of worship. You, you, don't, you don't disconnect the Monday through Saturday life with the Sunday life. As a matter of fact, the biblical tradition teaches that if we're living a life of goodness and kindness and compassion, the Monday through Saturday, Sunday has a whole different experience. The Eucharist feels different. The song sits different. Raise your hand if you've ever had a meaningful time where you went through a season of just deep prayer, and the longer you went through that season of prayer, your prayer just became deeper and your worship became deeper. Raise your hand if anybody has that experience. Right. Because the more we love God, the more love for God that is formed inside of us. But what Yahweh's trying to say is the more we love God, the more we love our neighbor. The more we love our neighbor, the more worshipful worship becomes. And so you've got this weird thing going on, this weird division in the church. And it's not a division of beliefs, it's a division of what worship is. You have some who believe that all of worship is about the Sunday gathering. So Monday through Saturday, we just need to be good people. But we can turn a blind eye to the injustices or turn a blind eye to the hard conversations as long as we come on Sunday and we worship. Then you've got some people who don't believe the worship gathering matters at all because God can be encountered in a mountain. And so you've got this either or that ends up working itself out in the Christian life. And that's actually not what the scripture is calling us to. It's calling us to a deeper place. They're like, like the music isn't worship. It's music. That facilitates worship. How you brush your teeth is an act of worship. Why? Because what are you bringing to brushing your teeth for those who do? I'm going out on a limb here. <laughs> like, maybe you don't. Maybe you're like brushing teeth to get it done, like my son. But like gratefulness, right? Like gratitude, a life of gratitude. I woke up today. Not everybody wakes up. I have a toothbrush. Not everybody has a toothbrush. I have running water. Not everybody has running water. It's all grace. That's gratitude. At least gratitude. That gratitude is an expression of what? Worship. Worship, worship life, like a life of worship requires an intentional living. And the problem with the way we talk about worship in church is that it becomes an event or just an action, not a life. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. Look on the screen. Let's all read it together. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy and that is what you are. If you walk outside and you look to the left, there's a sign that says Sanctuary Seating 206. Number one, that's a lie. It's not Seating 206. We can't fit 206 in here unless we're in each other's laps. Maybe, maybe we can. But this, but this is not the sanctuary. You know what this is? A room. <laughs> it's, it's a worship center, maybe? You know what the sanctuary is? Everybody raise your hand right? You are God's sanctuary. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Let's all read it together. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This glorifying God is literally worship. You are the dwelling place of God. So there is no place you can walk where Christ isn't present because you are actually the sanctuary of God. So what happens in the sanctuary? Begins with a W, ends with a P, has O-R-S-H-I in between. It's worship. So at what point is our lives not an act of worship? Never. We're never outside of the presence of God. There is nothing that we don't do that is, a, that is an act of worship or profane worship. It's either faithful worship or profane worship, right? Like it's either one of the two. I commit both just yesterday, right? Like, like, that's, like life is worship. Life is an act of worship. Matter of fact, our sanctuary being the, the temple of God, our heart, our bodies being the temple of God, like that's exactly what the temple was in the Hebrew scriptures. The temple was a sanctuary and it was called the sanctuary because it's where God dwelt. And only certain people, only the high priest, could enter into the sanctuary. Now, what are we? We are God's chosen descendants. A what? A what? A royal priesthood. You're a priest. You know why you're a priest in the biblical tradition? Why? Put it together. So ahead, I'm hearing rumbling. Somebody say it. Yeah, because we're a sanctuary. Because you're mediating the presence of God in the world. Have you ever thought about that? That you, as the temple of the living God, are mediating the presence of God in the world. That is why loving neighbor matters so much. Because we are mediators of the presence of God in the world. We are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the worshipers of Yahweh. Brought near by the blood of Jesus. Worship is a life we live. And when we come together, your individual worship comes together with my individual worship around biblical ritual and liturgy and story informs us into the people God wants us to be as one people rather than a lot of bitty, a lot of like many temples trying to live life. Matter of fact, Peter says that each one of us is a living stone that when we come together, we build the temple of God. So Paul in Romans tries to unpack all this when he says, Sam, you ready? Romans chapter 12, verses one through two. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a what? As a living sacrifice. Yahweh no longer wants dead sacrifices. Yahweh wants what? A living sacrifice. Someone that when we climb on the altar, we don't squirm down. But someone who could squirm down (laughs) if we we wanted to, right? We're not just a dead, lifeless sacrifice. We're a living sacrifice, a continual, ongoing sacrifice. Look at what he says. Holy and pleasing to God. This, read it with me. This is your spiritual worship. Your worship is a living sacrifice. Now, I could get all up in the weeds here and talk about the five verbs and four nouns that are translated worship in the Bible and unpack this and all kinds of deep stuff that would probably bore us half to death and seem very odd. But I think you can catch the picture. It's very, for those of us who love logic, this is very logical. 
If I am the dwelling place of God and there's no place I can walk where God isn't present, therefore I'm always in the presence of God, then there's nothing I do in this life that is not worship. In the sense of I am living in the presence of God and offering my life in response to the God who knows me best and loves me most as a living sacrifice. It's a response. Worship is a response. And that's why Isaiah gets so fed up and why the Lord gets so fed up with his people in the Hebrew scriptures is because worship is a response to the goodness of God, which is why Paul starts off, he says, therefore, brothers, what? By the mercies of God. When you, he spent 11 chapters of re, like real deep theology, and it's like Paul is saying, look, when you realize the essence of grace, when you look at the beauty of God's mercy, when you look at God's faithful love for you, how could you not want to offer your life to him? Like, how could you not? Like, when you really get that, how could you want to squirm off the altar? Who better to give your life to? than the God who gave his life for you. Like even Romans 5, right, right, like 6, while we were enemies, Christ, or that's Romans 5, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Like God came for us. God can teach us to love enemies because God gave his life for his. Right, like that's the mercies of God. Like in view of those mercies, offer your body's living sacrifice. And by the way, <coughs> verse 2, don't be conformed to this age. This age means this moment. Like this society. That's what this age means, the world. The places we Don't be conformed to it. The living sacrifices of God can't conform to the things that are outside or against the presence of God. But be transformed by what? Come on, say it. By the renewing of your mind. Change how you think about the world. And change how you think about worship. Change how you think about your neighbor. Change how you think about your politics. Think, change how you think about your money. Change how you think about your marriage. Matter of fact, marriage is a lot different when I see my wife as a daughter of the king in whom Christ dwells, who in loving her is always an act of worship. It changes. It, my neighbor, my neighbor that I don't like at all, my neighbor who doesn't vote like me, look like me, talk like me, act like me, smell like me, Worship like me. When I see them as someone made in the image of the God in whom I've been remade, and I see my love for them as opposed, like it's supposed to be a worshipful response of love in light of the worship, in light of the response of love God has given me, it changes how I love my neighbor. It changes everything. And maybe that's the struggle with all of life seen as worship. Because we've been conditioned to think that worship is one day a week. So I do this series every two years in this church. COVID's killed everything. Like all these series that I do on a rotating basis every two years has now been four years because of COVID. This is, this is who we are. Now, why does it matter? Because this is how we hold on to our confession. We hold on to our confession that Jesus is Lord. And isn't it hard to hold on to your confession that Jesus is Lord? I mean, I've struggled with Alex being in the hospital. My prayers are not being answered fast enough, and neither are yours. We got people praying from Kenya all across the United States. Now, I want to offer a good report. Praise be to God. The morning update, Stephen says, this is the day the Lord has made. No news is good news. The plans to keep her as 
she is, and we progress through the day. Her lungs look better. The numbers are good. The brain is stable. The EEG is coming off. All huge blessing and all glory to God. But it doesn't change the fact that it's been hard. It's been hard to hold on to the confession. You ever had a time where it's hard to hold on to the confession that Jesus is Lord? Huh? Have you? I have. I've been living in it. You know what's held on to the confession? You know what's helped me hold on to the confession? Is you. Like the text updates and the exchanges and the men were praying and like that's helped me even hold on to the confession. Which is exactly, incidentally, what, what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to it. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering because the one who made the promises is reliable. And let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and what? Good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. So even though our individual lives are a whole life of worship, the gathering matters because we also need to be reminded of the confession that Jesus is Lord, which provokes my worship Monday through Saturday. I need you on a Sunday to remember the Monday through Saturday commitment that I have as a worshiper of God. Does that make sense to you? And when life is really heavy, I need to come together in the, in the people of God. I need, the, the online screens don't work as well. Y'all, like I'm not, like they're not, they're not the same. Worshiping at home isn't the same as Alvin walking in and giving me a hard time about Cocoa Puffs. Which matters because the playfulness of community also matters. It's not the same as, as looking at you saying, how's Alex? And we talk about it together and then we maybe pray together. Or we, we hug each other. We encourage each other. You ask, how's the Samadhi family doing? Or how's that mother that we're walking with? How's she doing? Like that encourages my heart. Doesn't it encourage yours? We need that encouragement. So just because life is a life of worship, just because worship is a life given over to God 24-7, doesn't change the fact that we need, to con we need the gathering in order to hold on to the confession that we've made. Because what does it say? Let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering because the one who made the promises is reliable. Sometimes I need you to remind me of that. Don't you need that reminder too? Oh, and let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of what? Come on. And what? Good deeds. So, why is Fred always talking about that on Sundays? Because a part of the gathering is that. Worship is vertical. Everybody say vertical. But it's also horizontal. Everybody say horizontal. Worship requires that I remind Danny of the life that we both have confessed. Which is to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to what else? Love our neighbors and love ourselves. And Danny's responsibility is to remind me of that because when we come to the Eucharist, that's what we proclaim. We need both. That's worship. And why does all this matter? All right, I'm wrapping up. Everybody say the word segula. Say it again, segula. Everybody say seg, ula. Segula. That is a Hebrew word that is one of the most precious Hebrew words in Scripture, and it means treasured possession. You are God's segula. 
treasured possession. It is a word that denotes possession of a king. So when we say we are God's possession in Peter, that word is segula. So when you go back to Corinthians and it says you were bought at a price, your body is not your own. It also means that Danny's body is not his own. Therefore, I can't treat Danny how I want to treat Danny because to treat Danny poorly would be to treat the body of Christ poorly. You ever thought about that? Because Danny is also God's segula. Breno is God's segula. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 1 through 2. It's always been this way. You are sons of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or make a bald spot on your head. Oh, well, that's, a, that's unfortunate. On behalf of the dead. <laughs> okay, there's a context. Good thing there's a context there. For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be his own possession. That language of his own possession is segula. Out of all the peoples of the face of the earth. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Let's read it. But you are a chosen race or chosen descendants. A royal what? A holy what? Okay, so pause there. Remember what that means. We are within ourselves the people of God. We are a colony of heaven in the midst of the United States of America. We are priesthood in the midst of a pagan world. Using that language loosely. We are his treasured what? Possession, which is segula. To do what, though? What's the, what is all, what's the end of all this? So we can feel good about ourselves on a Sunday and leave feeling good about ourselves? Is that the end of it? No, we know that, right? What's the end of it? What's the point? To what? Read the rest of the text. Come on, I believe in you. <laughs> to proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we're blind, now we see. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, he says. You had not received mercy, but what? Now you've received mercy. Which is why Peter would say, in Romans chapter 12, in view of God's mercy, what? Present your lives as a living sacrifice. All those born or adopted into the kingdom of God have the potential to become part of the Lord's personal treasury. You are God's treasury. Because you are God's treasure. You are how God buys back the world because Christ has already bought it back. You are God's treasure possession. You. Like just as you are. All of you and all of your muck and mess and mire, all that, all that you are and all that you aren't, you genuinely are one that God treasures. And God possesses you. He owns you. You don't own you. I don't own me. It's not my body. It's God's body. And I tend to it and care for it and invest it in the world as an act of worship that never ends. 
that mediates the presence of God in the world because everywhere I go, there Christ is. Now, high, how, high, how does that change how we live? How does that big idea change how we functionally and practically live our lives? Then at work, I'm mediating the presence of God. As an act of worship to God. That's why Paul would say, whatever you do, do, in the, do with all your might. Do as if for the glory of God, right? That's what Paul would say. This changes everything. Worship is a life because there is no moment that Christ is outside of our lives. So don't come to church trying to find your worship. You won't find it here. You'll find it with you. You'll be encouraged here, provoked here, consider how to stir up for love and good works here. You'll be provoked to be faithful in your life here. That's the hope. Lifted up here, convicted here. Raise your hand if you ever left a gathering feeling convicted. Raise your hand if you ever left a gathering feeling encouraged and hopeful. Raise your hand if you ever left a gathering not even really feeling convicted, but feeling a little ticked off. <laughs> All of y'all raised your hand up and like, okay. Raise your hand if you've left a gathering feeling loved. And welcome to the community of God, right? Like this is what it is. This is what it means. We are God's chosen descendants, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession to proclaim the mighty deeds of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not that people, but now we are God's people. And that changes everything. There is a love for God. There is a love that God has, I'm sorry. A love that God has that is so seemingly reckless that God would do what God has done to tear down the wall. Remember, tear down the, 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 the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. Tear down the curtain that kept us outside of the presence of God, as Hebrews would say, so that we all could live our lives in the presence of God. Beloved, you are God's segula. Say, I am God's segula. Say it. Pray that prayer this week. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.